Welcome to Latinos Who Tech. My name is Hugo Castellanos. I'm an engineer and I work in Silicon Valley. I am originally from Caracas, Venezuela, and I've been calling the U.S. home for the last 20 years. When it comes to Latinos in the U.S., we are 60 million people, but we're only 3% of the workers in science or engineering. As a professional in Silicon Valley, I've had the opportunity to meet some remarkable professionals that work in the tech industry, Latinos like me. With this podcast, I want to bring you a collection of their stories and how they got a job in tech in the first place. And if they had to start all over again, what would they do differently? I want to share with you career advice on how to get a job in tech, how to deal with imposter syndrome, how to find your tribe when you're the only one in the room. This is Latinos Who Tech. Rocio Mendez, welcome to Latinos Who Tech. Gracias. Thank you for having me. Pretty excited about this. See how this conversation goes. You are an engineer at Tesla. Mm -hmm. And when I met you at the parking lot this morning, you drove on. <laughs> My new Tesla. <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah, thank so. you. My husband and I had been researching these and looking into them. And it's definitely a very big purchase. But it's an amazing car, right? And not just because I work there. Um, I truly believe it's amazing. And I was driving my 2000 Honda Accord. You know, mm -hmm. it just hit 251,000 miles. Wow. It's the uh, vehicle that my dad got me when I graduated high school. And so it definitely feels really nice, right? This morning when I got in, I was like, man, I can't believe this is my car. Yeah, um, adulting. Adulting, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Awesome. Um, Happy for you. Go drive it around after this. Sure, so, we can do it. Yeah. Or we can let it drive us around. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. Can you tell me your story? Mm -hmm. If you had to tell your story in five minutes, how would you tell your story? Both of my parents are from a small town, Pueblo, say per se, uh, in Comala, Colima, right, in Mexico. And we grew up very family-oriented, tiny town, very sheltered. But soon after, I, I did was involved in a lot of programs growing up, the low-income minority, right? So educational talent search, upward bound. And those programs really opened my mind to a lot of just engineering and, you know, exploring and, and getting out of Hamilton and, mm -hmm. and breaking those boundaries. And my dad actually did study horticulture engineering in Mexico. And my aunt, who's his youngest sister, she's a civil engineer. And so my aunt went to Chico State and I very much looked up to her. And she would always take me to these MESA programs on Saturday mornings, right, where you make like the little cars out of mousetraps and bridges out of spaghetti. And so a lot of that, I think, opened my mind to, you know, engineering and doing something like that. Through one of the programs, Upward Bound, I did get the opportunity to study abroad in Hawaii when I was in high school for about three months. And from there was where my love for traveling started, definitely leaving Hamilton and, and seeing everything that was out there. It was when I decided that I would one day study abroad. Fast forward to Cal Poly. You know, I started my degree there as a general engineer. I took a few classes and decided that industrial engineering would be the best of both worlds, right? So you get to do like the business side if that's something that you want to do but you also get to be an engineer. I mean, I listened to one of your podcasts before this with Emily, and she mentioned the whole Imagineer, right? The uh, Imagineer Industrial Engineer. Actually, a lot of my friends who were also part of SHEP would always make fun of me for that as well, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, it's more like business than engineering. Yeah. yeah. 
But, you know, I think it's great. It's very applicable across a different, very many different industries. So I really enjoy that. It's playful teasing because uh, my friends at Central Florida, they would say that, yeah, engineers make things. Mm-hmm. Industrial engineers make things better. Yeah. <laughs> and like, oh, yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's playful teasing. Yeah. Yeah, so I decided to go for industrial engineering. I did that, and then I, I stayed an extra year at Cal Poly, completed my master's in integrated technology management. It was fun. A lot of it so, was, you Master know, Rocio. Yeah. <laughs> so I studied abroad in Spain and San Sebastian. And when I got back, really, a lot of it was, I'm just, I'm not ready for the world. And so I decided to stay the extra year. And after that, you know, I think I really got everything together. And what do I really want to do? And so, yeah, my first job after that was working for Covidian, which is a medical device company here in Sunnyvale, based in Sunnyvale. We were making endoscopic catheters to prevent esophageal cancer. And I thought it was so awesome, right? Because, I mean, by no means we're not doctors or anything like that, but it was definitely positively impacting people's lives. And the most rewarding thing was watching the videos of the people who were impacted, positively impacted by this this product, right? Yeah, you're part of the solution. Yeah, it was really great. And I was leading the production team there. I transitioned into a manufacturing engineering role for a little bit and eventually went into production management again. So I kept getting pulled back into the operations side, right? And I really enjoyed it. I definitely really enjoy working with the associates, the production people, and, and seeing the people behind the product. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. I'm a strong believer that you can learn something new from anyone you meet. That is why every month I compile all the key learnings from this podcast and experience and summarize them in my monthly newsletter. I curate the resources we talk about, key learnings, books I'm currently reading, and give you recommendations on how to become a better Latino professional. You can sign up following the show notes or at latinoswhotech.com. Thank you. Can you tell me a bit about the operations side of things? Because I've been in product teams, I've been in sales teams, I've been in marketing teams, but I've never been part of an operations team. Can you tell me a bit about what it's like working in an operations team? It's a very interesting dynamic, right? I think that whatever your background is and you come in and you're trying to lead a group of just people, right, who are here to make things, it's very important that when you come onto a shop floor that you understand that the subject matter expert is not you, right? That's the product builder. <laughs> Who can maybe it's a contractor, maybe yeah. doesn't have a college degree. Exactly. But in this floor, they are the doctor, director, PhD, exactly. they're the expert. Yeah. I think it's really important to understand that from day one, that you will be doing actually a lot of learning from them. Then once you actually capture all of that knowledge and you understand the process in and out, then that's where your inner eye would have to come out. How do I optimize this? Looking at different KPIs like safety, quality, the people part, of course, which is the most important, right? Which talks more about cross-training and and making sure that HR is there to support. And then you have delivery and, of course, cost. I found that in my time in operations, I focused a lot more on safety, delivery, and costs. But there's dedicated quality teams and dedicated for everything. But how I can impact the delivery and the cost portion of it is what makes me feel as an important part of the organization and where I can make the biggest impact. It's very dynamic. You definitely interact with so many different types of personalities. You know, sometimes they're positive, sometimes they're negative, but understanding on 
how to come to a common ground with a person that has a completely different mindset than you is super important being in any sort of management, right? Whether it's, it's at associate production level or a peer or an engineer that is reporting to you. So you, you got your first job at Covidian, mm -hmm. then Medtronic acquired Covidian. Yeah. How did you get to Tesla? It was actually pretty interesting. So there's a big Cal Poly presence at Tesla in the industrial engineering team, or at least there was at the time. And I had one of my peers from college reach out. He was the industrial engineering manager at Tesla at the time. And he said, hey, I see that you're in production through LinkedIn. Come to Tesla and help us run production. Right. But at the time, I had straight just, up, I mean, this person, what's his role or her role? He was in industrial engineering, but at the time they were a lot more involved in operations. Right. So understanding capacity ramps and not only putting together how we're going to get there, but actually determining how we're going to get there. Right. The like, execution the part. Of yeah. What types of projects have to be done? Is it more of an OEE problem? Is it more of a manpower problem? But at the time, I had just gotten my role as a production manager at Medtronic. And so I was pretty happy about that, right? And I was like, hey, I've worked with this team for about three years. I've developed them. They're where I want them to be. And I'm happy here. But at the same time, I, I also had a new manager, a new director. And, you know, about six, seven months into the role, we didn't see eye to eye. Our just vision was completely different. And that's okay. But it wasn't going to work out, right? right? I just, we didn't value the same things. People was a very big thing for me, you know, catering to them. And if I asked them to stay an extra hour, like I wanted to get to reward them, you know, I knew they were getting paid the extra overtime hour, but I wanted to buy them dinner and, and I wanted to do those little things. But, you know, we, we just had a completely different vision. So I decided, mm. you know, to start looking somewhere else. And so I reached out to him and I said, hey, so I want to try something different. I want to actually go into the industrial engineering field, which we both study instead of production. So when you have some openings available, let me know. And um, this is a college friend. Yeah, I mean, he was an acquaintance, right? We weren't like extremely close, but the industrial engineering program at Cal Poly was very small. So I knew a lot of the people that of were course. there. And he also studied a lot abroad in Japan because he just loves cars. So <laughs> we didn't see him too much, right? But uh, that's why he ended up at Tesla. So he's like, hey, actually, I have an opening. Why don't you come in? I'll give you a tour of the factory. And if you like what you see, then you can apply and start the process. And so I was very fortunate that I had somebody, a connection like that. So I came in, you know, it was just so crazy. I mean, I went from a clean room, you know, with about 13 employees to this massive factory, right, with robots. And I mean, just the technology that's it's just completely different. Yeah. What do you feel like when you first stepped into the factory floor? It was a really weird experience. It was just so overwhelming, but very exciting. It was just this huge open space. They had the American flag and the Tesla flag hanging down. And, you know, they had a lot of different teams out on the floor just collaborating. And the cars were like passing by, getting built. You know, the tires were being installed. And it was just so overwhelming and so cool. I just I love seeing things getting made. You know, this is definitely something that I can see myself doing. Doing. And I learned more about the mission and, you know, the whole master plans that Elon had put together and what it was going to be in the future. And I was like, hey, this is something that I think I want to be a part of. Yeah, so I went through it. I applied and I went through the interview process. Yeah, I was fortunate enough to get the position as an industrial engineer there supporting Powertrain, which is actually, I believe, to be the heart 
of Tesla, right? The battery pack, Indeed. all of the technology is in the powertrain. That's, That's what it. makes the car what it is. Yeah. Essentially, it's, um, yeah. it's an alternative to burning dead dinosaurs. Yep. <laughs> which is what we do. And we, the yeah. combustion engine, we've trusted it for decades. Exactly. But well, it's time to move on to something else. I can imagine the, the energy of being in the factory <laughs> floor. Wouldn't it have been great if you had run into Elon that day that you were just visiting? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I definitely would have been like, how does one react? <laughs> yeah, and then he tells you, so when do you start? <laughs> no, no, I'm a guest. I have a guest. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just looking. Like, no, no, but we need you. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been pretty awesome. Yes, like, hey, so yeah, this interview would have been different. Like, Rocio, why did you go to Tesla? Well, Elon asked me to. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I didn't really want to, but he personally asked me to, and so I, I couldn't He needs to. help. I needed to help him. <laughs> Being humilde, you know. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. But a lot of the questions that, that we got from the audience, uh, one of them was about that, about the the Tesla hiring process and I'm not going to ask you anything confidential mm -hmm. but I would like to know from your perspective since you're inside as an industrial engineer what can an industrial engineer or a mechanical engineer do mm -hmm. to get into Tesla to make themselves a more attractive candidate mm -hmm. for the company so a lot of what my team currently does the industrial engineering team is essentially looking at the factory as a whole right um, and we focus on different parts of the shop. So maybe we look into stamping, the paint shop, powertrain, whatever it might be. And we bought online, just try to optimize it, right? We look at the different problems that are going on. Is it a capacity problem? Is it a cost problem? And so I would say for somebody coming in, definitely having manufacturing experience is a plus, right? Because I think you understand how all of the cross-functional teams have to come together. And as an industrial engineer, sometimes it's tough, right? Because maybe you don't have a lot of design experience. Maybe you don't have such a technical background, but that's definitely not a must. It's it's a nice to have, but it's not a must. And I would say that uh, we're pretty open. We have a lot of different industrial engineers. So we have people who are very focused on operations research. Right. We have people who just really enjoy the lean manufacturing slash workstation optimization. We're very good at just building new, you know, racks and workstations for the people, the ergo side. And then we have the business side of the industrial engineers, right, who focus more on the operation and, and optimizing that in terms of cost. So, I mean, to go back to your question, I think it's important that you know how to market yourself and, like, tell people what, what you're all about, but definitely having a connection inside of Tesla. There's a ton of people, you know, that are applying. And the recruitment process, I can say, and I've seen this firsthand, right, uh, where sometimes we lose time of talent because it's just so saturated, right? That people, I mean, they're not going to wait around to see if they're going to hear back, but, you know, definitely having, and I'm a new contact, right? Um, so definitely, <laughs> definitely open to that. Um, and, you know, just understanding like what the job requires of you and, of and kind of spinning it. So you're like, Hey, I'm that person, you know, that you need. But I would say that just in general, there's so many different types of needs at the factory that having manufacturing experience is one of the main things that I personally look for on a Got team, it. right? Somebody that doesn't mind going out on the floor, that putting on the steel toes and the bump caps, right? It's definitely not a, hey, I'm going to sit at my desk and just see how the factory is running. Right. It's more of a hands-on role. And ultimately, we're engineers because we like to build things yeah you'd be surprised i think there's a lot of people that i think they think they like that you know <laughs> but it's just overwhelming but i definitely believe that as an ie or a manufacturing engineer you have to be on the shop floor to really understand what's happening we've covered how do you get to tesla the process 
So can you tell me a bit more about your day-to-day? Of the, mm-hmm. I know you just got promoted. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> so can you tell me a bit of your, about your previous role and how did that prepare you to the role you're doing now? So my previous role, I was the battery pack production associate manager and also for chargers. So my day-to-day is basically first thing I do, you know, in the morning is take a look at the production pass downs and understand how the operation actually did as in a 24-hour window. And, and the I, battery packs, just mm-hmm. for the benefit of our listeners, can you describe uh, what they do, what they are? Yeah, so the battery pack is basically what's powering the car. It's composed of a lot of cells, battery cells. That's basically it. It's a, it's a huge power pack, just like the one that you use for your phone, but for the car. That's something that I'm really curious about because I always think of me, mi, mi abuelita mm-hmm. when I have these this technical conversations. Like, hmm, how do I explain that to my abuelita? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like, abuelita, I make the battery for the car. Ah, okay, mijo. Está bien. Yeah, so this and is that's, that's basically what it is. I mean, there's a lot more that goes into okay. it. Course. You know, the bottom line, it's the power pack for your car. So day to day, you look at the pass downs in the yeah, morning. Look at the pass downs. My main goal is to never starve General Assembly because any time that the General Assembly goes down, which is a line that's actually putting all of these subcomponents into the vehicle and making the vehicle, we're losing money. That's definitely when the VP will call you directly and say, <laughs> why don't I have battery packs? Right. It's never a call that you want to get. So I take a look at all of the different things, right? Is Was there any safety incidents? What was the first pass you would like? What was my output, of course? And one very important thing that I love to drive and, and pick on my team is the number of hours and labor hours that went into the operation that day. You know, so once I get a good understanding of that, I have to go to these daily stand-up meetings where we report out like, hey, this is the status of my operation. This is what I'm expected to be doing next. Do I have any major issues today that are going to prevent me from hitting that target? You know, it could be like manpower issues. Maybe one of the robots is just tired from working all, all day yesterday <laughs> um, and it's really struggling. You know, and then that kind of unfolds different types of things right so if one of the main bottlenecks which could be like a robot that's installing fasteners if it's just been down for too long then i have to meet with the cross-functional team and say hey like what's next right is there a workaround to this is it going to shut down the operation if so how much coverage do i have do i escalate it now do i escalate it later and it's tough to make those decisions sometimes right because You know, I had a conversation like this with somebody internally to Tesla and he was telling me, oh, you know, he runs the maintenance team. And he was like, I feel like we're just driving this big ship with a bunch of oars, right? He's like, and you're the ship and we're the oars. And so you need every oar to be going in the same direction, right, to get you to where you need to go. And so it's sometimes that can be, I think, the most tough part about being in a role like this where you have to engage every single or and every single cross-functional team that's right. supporting you. Um, Gaining that alignment across yeah. different teams. Yeah, definitely. Just being aligned and saying like, hey, this is what I need from you. What do you need from me to get there? Because these are people that they don't report to you. No, they don't report to me, right? So They're at your same level or higher level, yeah. but in a whole different function. So yeah. you have to influence exactly and align that way. Yeah, you have to be able to engage them, like you said, influence them and get the support and most importantly it's just being really good at building relationships in a role like this I would say that that's what I spend a lot of my time doing actually is building relationships with the cross-functional teams because I need them how do you like to build those relationships what does that look like Um, it's is it a bunch of coffees beginning of the quarter 
You no. said, uh, what does that look like? I like to just meet with them and say, like, hey, this is what I need from you, right? What do you need from me? And, like, how can I help you? Because a lot of, for example, for the maintenance team, if the equipment is consistently down, the availability is bad, that looks bad on them, right? But they need me and my team to actively log down the reasons why it's down and be very good about collecting the right information that they need in order to bring that availability back up. Right. So I really like to run my relationships with them and like, hey, like I need this from you and you need this from me. And how can we help each other? And if they ever need something from me that, you know, requires a lot of work from me, I do it for them. Right. Because I expect that from them. Um, in the future when I need that. And I've been pretty successful at it. I, I would say that I have pretty good relationships, you know, across facilities, you know, with, with the janitors at night who always see me walking around and, you know, with engineers and, and anything like that. And I think that's why it's been such a good experience being in the operations team. I really like how transparent you are in those conversations. Mm -hmm. Hey, listen, what do you need from me? This is what I need from you. Yeah. Because that transparency, uh, I find that is going back to that adulting yeah. thing. It's, it's part of knowing that, hey, we're here to do a job. Exactly. So how can we actually accomplish that synchrony mm -hmm. that we're working together and we are actually in the ship all going in the same way? Another big thing is just being adult enough to be able to call somebody out and say, hey, you know, you did this and it impacted me, impacted my line negatively and Please don't do it going forward and being able to come like to common ground, say like, hey, I know you need to shut down the line to run this trial, but you can't because of this. So let's find a different solution. Right. Mm -hmm. And sometimes there's things that I that my team does that reflects on me that they don't like and they get upset. Right. Mm -hmm. And and that's OK. I mean, that's that's just human. That's normal. Yes, that's, right. But yes, we build machines. We're, we're not machines. We, we make mistakes. Exactly. And uh, just having the ability to look to work together past that. I think is key. Your team is very important to you. Yeah, definitely. And growing them, developing them. How do you like to develop your team? Or what are your strategies to building a team, putting them together, developing? Mm -hmm. So I've had experience with various types of people, right? So we have like the operations team, production, the supervisors, and then I've also had engineers reporting to me. And so bottom line, what I like to do is just go in and say, hey, what do you want to do? Right? If you could pick what you wanted to do, what do you want to do? What do you like to do? How can we work together to get you there? Right? And you'd be surprised at a lot of the times when you ask that question. I mean, sometimes people don't know, right? Like you think you know what you want to do. And I think it's, it's really funny when someone's like, well, like, I like to do, you know, X, Y, and Z, but I don't really know. Right? And so then I kind of take that back and say, okay, well, Here are the things that we need to do, right, for the operation, um, for the team or whatever team that might be. This is what I need you to be good at doing, right? And so then we, like, kind of do a, a you know, like a tree diagram, like, oh, these are the different mm -hmm. skill sets that I need you to be, mm -hmm. be proficient at to accomplish this. And so you're good at X, Y, and Z. You're not so good or you haven't had that much experience in this, so let's focus on that. For my most recent role in operations, my supervisors, I had a ton of fun just like teaching them about like the cost metric, right? And I was like, well, like you guys are so great about pushing numbers like UPH, right? Mm -hmm. But what about the number of people? Well, what's UPH? Said? Units per hour. Are you talking units per hour? Because you're within your scope of battery packs. Mm -hmm. So battery yeah, packs production. per hour. Okay. Yeah. So battery packs per hour. And so they're very good at that. Right. And in their mindset, they're just like, yeah, like, you know, I made so many units today and I feel so accomplished. 
they always call me out. They're just like, you're always throwing a wrench in things. And why are you making this so complicated? Um, Rocio, you again. <laughs> I started talking to them more about, you know, that's great that you can make, let's just say, 200 in any given day. And I give you 10 hours. But can you make 200 in nine hours? Right. Mm -hmm. And how what would it take you to do that? And then I started introducing labor hours. Right. So it's the amount of people that you're using for the operation times the number of paid hours. Right. Divided by the number of units that you made. And so I talked to them a lot about, hey, you're influencing all of these things. So as an industrial engineer, because I used to work with them as an IA partner, right? And they would always be like, you're just trying to cut our headcount all the time. I need the people, <laughs> you know? And, and they always had this ongoing joke. They're like, are you Rocio industrial engineer or are you Rocio production manager, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I'm a little bit of both. And I know that you don't need this amount of people in the operation. So I'm going to cut some out, right? And I just wouldn't approve backfilling those roles. And we accomplished a lot together in, in nine months. And my last thing, you know, that I said to them was this past Friday, I just said, you know, we've come a long way, we've reduced the cost of this operation significantly. And if I come back in two weeks, and you guys reverted to what it was when I first <laughs> took over, I'm gonna be so mad, right? And I was like, and I will still be here to pokey at it. It was rewarding. Uh, one of the supervisors texted me and, and, you know, he was like, hey, like, at first when you started, I wasn't very sure what you would bring to the team, but I've learned so much from you and, and I'm really grateful. And things like that. I mean, it's super simple and it's just being able to engage people and teach them a little bit about mm -hmm. what I know and how I can improve just their mindset and, and the way that they're looking at the operation and essentially taking a step back, right? So instead of just looking at the units per hour, like take a step back and it's like, what does this all look like and driving the improvement? So got it. What was it like meeting Elon in person? He's very interesting. I have seen Elon, you know, in very different occasions. Obviously, we see him when he's presenting at Company All Hands, seeing him on the media, and I've seen him out on the shop floor. Actually, he'll come out on the shop floor sometimes, and if there's a safety incident, he'll try to do the work himself and say, like, you know, this is actually bad and we need to fix it. So he definitely tries to be very engaged. When I first met him and actually talked to him and he said something back, we were presenting a new tool, which is stochastic simulation, using a system called Flexim. And we were presenting to him and actually JB as well about the use of it and how we can implement it to start looking at capacity ramps, putting in new equipment and seeing how that would actually impact the operation before purchasing something, right? And he didn't say too many things. <laughs> he said it was great. And he definitely started talking about, you know, a more futuristic approach, which is very Elon-like. Um, he started talking about building. Sounds like Elon, yeah. Yeah, he started talking about, you know, building in the Z space and taking advantage of all of that space and how how can we build up and, and more. And so he very much did that at the Giga Factory, right? Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. So this was at the Fremont Factory. But when I did get a chance to go to the Giga Factory, it's very much like that. It's everything, you know, up multiple yeah. levels. Yeah. Um, and same thing with the boring company. The yeah. whole idea is take advantage of the Z space. Exactly. Those tunnels are, you can just bury everything further down. You can just make yeah. hundreds of tunnels. Yeah. When people talk about flying cars. No, flying cars are helicopters, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> it's about, okay, let's build a hundred tunnels down and, you know, hopefully take care of LA traffic and mm -hmm. 
I want to eat that in the Bay Area too. So it was a really good experience being, you know, in the same room with him and, and just getting to kind of feel what his demeanor is. And mm-hmm. I'm a fanboy. <laughs> and I admit it, I'll come out of the, the fanboy <laughs> closet, if you will. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because he's the embodiment of the, the engineer turned CEO. He just wants to build cool things and solve problems along the way. So it's an inspiration. I don't ever want him to be president. I just want him to build cool things. <laughs> that, that's what he's good at. Yeah. That's where his heart is. What's your favorite part of working at Tesla? I don't know if this is cliche or not, but it really is the mission, right? And it really is about what we're trying to do with Tesla. And it's the whole idea of sustainable energy. And I realized that as I got older, right, in my career, I got more experience. That's one thing that I really value is the company that I'm working for. What do they really stand for, right? And what type of impact are they really trying to make? You know, there's definitely times that I come in and I'm just like, man, like I do not want to be here, right? But I think that's just any job. But I like that the car is just, it's very sexy, right? The, the body <laughs> of the is. car is, is beautiful. It's super fast. The technology is great. It incorporates a little bit of the AI, right? Which, as we very little discussed, the whole Joe Rogan uh, interview with Elon, uh, that, def- that definitely came up, right? Yeah. Don't worry. We're not going to smoke anything here. Yeah. <laughs> Good, no, it's but too early. Uh, it's too early. Like, no, but the thing is that it tells you a bit about the beauty of podcasting is that we can have this two hour conversation and mm-hmm. really unpack the ideas. Yeah. But then the mass media just takes the sound bite. But again, the value of that conversation is talking about AI. Exactly. You know, like uh, we're building this thing that's going to learn to build more complex versions of itself, mm-hmm. versions that we probably won't be able to understand. What are we doing right now to make sure that we use it for good? Mm -hmm. He very much preaches, right, like building the machine that builds the machine. And I don't know, I I just find it so awesome that I, I can be part of that. Right. Mm-hmm. And the mission, yeah. the mission. And, and you talked about, you know, when you talk to your abuelita and explaining things and, you know, I call my grandpa every once in a while, my dad's dad, and um, I'll call him in Mexico and, and he'll ask me about the car. And he's like, what do you mean it drives itself? And I'm like, yeah, grandpa, you know, you're out on the freeway and, and you want to eat your in and out burger and it just drives you and it's making all these decisions for you. Right. And I, I think it's just so awesome when you get to explain it to someone that's never experienced it. That's the most California thing yeah. ever, what you just said. <laughs> yeah, I'm with my Tesla, driving down the 101, eating my in and out Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and I don't, don't, don't want to, you know, I want to focus on that. So, hey, Tesla, drive yourself. Drive me here. Honestly, I mean, yeah, that's my favorite part. You know, walking in and there's just a row of Teslas being charged right in front of the lobby and seeing that every morning. Like, I really enjoy it, right? Um, and that's how I know that I still want to work there. It's fantastic. And what's the biggest challenge, if there's a challenge, of being a woman in manufacturing, engineering and manufacturing environment? I know you're in IE now, but uh, just your general experience about being a woman in in engineering. Yeah. And I mean, I think like IE will always be tied to operations, right? Of course. um, Any type of operation. But I mean, at Tesla, my experience has been pretty positive. I think a lot of it has to do with, with the leadership right? Is the leadership someone who believes in diversity, bringing in females and males and their leadership teams. Um, And I've had a very good experience in 
you know, my the VPs that I reported to before were very big about that. They would say, hey, we need to hire a manager for this. And I want candidates from both sexes, right? And to me, that was huge. I was like, you know what? Like, I really respect you for that, that you're making it a point to say that to HR, right? Like, I want, you know, to interview three of three females and three males. Mm -hmm. But I think that one of the reasons, and I've been kind of thinking about this lately, is the reasons why there's not so many females in operations leadership. And I think some of it has to do because it's such a demanding role. And, you know, I think that the the whole equal pay and, and all of that, all mm -hmm. of that kind of notion um, still has to do a lot with the fact that females are viewed as, as a sex that has to stay home and, and takes care of the kids or maternity leave and, and, you know, paternity, leave, like, you know, daddy bonding thing is, is also mm -hmm. a thing, but it's not, I feel like it's just not viewed as like a must, right? Like it's just so different. And so I think that, Because we we as females tend to want to have the career and a family and are a little bit more attached to, to children most right. of the time and, and just your family that you end up taking a role that is a little bit more flexible, you know, than than a manufacturing leadership role. What are your feelings about that? Do you think that's right? That's wrong? It's commendable? What, what do you think? I think it's okay, right? Yeah, it's I okay. mean, I think it's up to every person. I mean, if you have a super supportive husband at home that is all for it, like, hey, you go to work and you live your dream as this, like, director of manufacturing and I will stay home with the kids, that's completely okay, mm -hmm. right? And I think that sometimes it's seen as, like, oh, you're a stay-at-home dad? Like, that's weird, right? Yeah, that's um, stick mouth. Yeah. But, um, and especially in our community, they like... The yeah. macho Latino. <laughs> exactly, thing. right? Like, like yeah. you're at home. It's like, like if my wife is making 250K, I'll stay home and take care of the babies. I don't yeah. care. <laughs> you know, it's, it's about the support. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that that would have to kind of change. But like I said, my, my experience has, be, has been pretty positive. My time in operations, it definitely is demanding, right? And I'm very lucky to have someone at home who supports me. Right. And all of the decisions that I make career wise. And so, you know, sometimes like my husband, Javier, right. Will just shout out, me. Javier. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to him. And he'll be like, hey, are you coming home early? Like, I'm kind of hungry, you know, and then I'll be like, no, I, I'm having a late day. I need to deal with something. And he's like, okay, great. So like he'll pick something up or he'll make something, and, you know, very supportive about that's that. That's awesome. That's But important. I, yeah. And you guys are a team. Yeah, we're definitely a team. Um, and I think that's why we've been so fortunate you know, seizing the very many opportunities that have come our way. Oh, happy for so, you. Thank happy you. Happy for you. Yeah. Um, do you feel that some of your IE operations, management, mentality bleeds into your personal life <laughs> a little bit? A little bit. Just I think that I'm very, I don't know if this is a good or a bad thing, but I definitely find that I feel like I need to be productive all the time. <laughs> And sometimes Javier will be like, Let's just chill, right? Like, it's okay if you don't get that done today. And, and I find it, sometimes I get so, like, anxious, like I, like, I need to do this and I need to do that, but I need to do this before that. And, you know, it gets pretty crazy, but he's right, you know, and I think it's okay to sometimes just relax, right? So. That's awesome. That's awesome. We talk about management, your career, we talk about Tesla, hablamos de Papa Elon, 
Yo le digo papá y él no porque lo quiero mucho. Have you actually read his book, his autobiography? I have it in my reading list. I'm, I'm it going. It's so I'm, good. So really, I, I I'm a huge fan of Audible. Me too. Yeah. So Do you I, the credit then? Yeah. Me too. I got three credits, so maybe I, I should get it. Yeah, it's really good. I, I listened to it and I, I couldn't stop listening. It's just if you're a fan. You know, they talk about, like, his, his childhood and just how he mm -hmm. got to where he in is. South Africa and, and coming here. Yeah, and, and all of the, um, just, like, hurdles that he had throughout life. And, you know, they talk about, like, some of his personal, like, struggles as well, which I think is nice because you can really relate. You know, you're like, man, you are human after all, right? Um, yeah. I really recommend it. Yeah, I love Audible. Nice. I'm such a fan. Nice. It's like audio is, is such a good medium. Yeah. Because it's uh, you know, because you listen to it in private. I'm cooking. I'm yeah. driving. I'm in running, doing yeah. anything, and yeah. you can, you know, that that time that you have yeah. between going to work and home, you can. Yeah, invest I just find that like I really enjoyed. I mean, even when I was young, I, I just always really enjoyed reading. And uh, before I decided I wanted to do engineering, I wanted to write books. Really? I just, I wanted to write books for little kids and, and draw, like, the stick figures. and You still can. I can, right? And, yeah, now I can. Um, it was just funny because my dad was always like, you, you know, siempre vas a ser pobre. Like, it's really hard to, <laughs> you know, the, the things that he would say. Um, but, yeah, I really enjoy reading still. And, and, That's awesome. And fitting in, like, time to read can be challenging sometimes. So Audible has definitely fulfills that. That's awesome. Um, yeah. That's awesome. I, I find that a lot of people that, that become writers, um, they first need something to write about. Mm -hmm. So the fact that you're an engineer, yeah, going through in Silicon Valley, you're at Tesla, you have this experience with, with Shep and this background of you are Mexican, you're also American, like mm -hmm. all those things. Now you have something to write about. Yeah. yeah. So... Maybe later. Maybe once I have a little bit more yeah. experiences. Yeah. Maybe, maybe a short story or something. Yeah. Have you heard of uh, XKCD? I haven't. It's a webcomic. comic. Uh, comes out three times a week. Uh -huh. And the person, the guy that writes it, he is a physicist. Mm -hmm. He used to work in NASA. I mean, he, he wasn't an astronaut or anything. He, he worked at NASA as a... One of the the engineers doing calculations mm -hmm. for for satellite orbits and stuff, and he started doing web comics um, for fun, yeah, you know, just blogging, and now this is his full time gig. Oh, that's cool. So when people ask him, so what do you do? Um, I read and I make comics. Okay, that <laughs> that's, that's like cool. Pretty... That sounds that sounds fun. So yeah. what are you doing Monday? Well, I'm reading two books. Yeah. Oh, cool, man. Good for you. <laughs> and, and there's a bunch of people like that, that these are, you know, science educators, if you will. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're, they're not like Neil deGrasse Tyson, you know, that he's a public figure and everything. But there's people that they have this industry experience yeah. and they, they can actually make a, a business out of it. Mm -hmm. So this guy from XKCD, he, he's a good example mm -hmm. of somebody that just, you know, basically started his own business. Yeah. And so, something that he really loves doing, right? Mm -hmm. He really enjoys that. Yeah, because I think you have an interesting perspective. Yeah. Because you have the, the Latina thing going for you. Yeah. And you're an engineer. You can talk technical. You can talk units per hour. Yeah. And all those things. Yeah. Um, there's actually my friend. They had a, they had a kid uh, like three years ago, Celeste. Mm -hmm. They're probably listening to this, actually. 
um, <laughs> Maori Vanessa, and they're both college professors okay. at uh, Virginia Tech. Uh-huh. And so I'm the, you know, I'm I'm the the uncle that sends their like STEM stuff. Mm-hmm. So quantum physics for kids. And there's a bunch of yeah. coloring books and little baby books. <laughs> That's cool. Say, so, okay, electromagnetism for kids. Yeah. I feel like when, when Javier and I have kids, it's probably the kind of parents we'll be. Oh, my gosh. You guys are going to have, like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's that's going to be interesting. Yeah, I feel like yeah. it'll be fun. Yeah, like, my mom's at Tesla. My dad's at Apple. <laughs> uh, so, you know, he's going to be born. So, what are you going to build? <laughs> what? Let me be a kid. <laughs> yeah, let me be a kid. Yeah, super excited. Crazy, like, scary, exciting part of, of life, you know, whenever, whenever that actually happens. Mm. But, um there will definitely be a different kind of challenge that I'm not sure you can solve with the engineering control or anything like that, right? So, yeah, that's more of the human, like, okay, how are we going to do this? And and that's the challenge. And that's the challenge because it's the, it's the human component. Mm-hmm. It's the human component, the, the, the UX, yeah. the UI, the why are we doing this? Yeah, and it's interesting that you say that because I'm a huge, huge advocate for any industrial engineer out there that they actually have experience at some point in their life running an operation, right? Because we're really big on optimizing like cost and labor. But the people factor when you're in production management is so big. It's so huge. It's such a huge impact on you. For example, if I have to like 100 people on my line, I have to rely and be able to engage 100 people to show up to work every day on time, mm-hmm. right? So that I can be successful. And that's hard. And I think it's hard to to truly understand all of those issues that come with people um, and, and how you have to deal with all these different personalities and, and cater to, to marry to many different ideas, you know, if, if you're not in the, in the, in the role, mm-hmm. right? Because um, it's very easy for me to say, oh yeah, you only need 20 people for that operation. It's just huge, and it's. I think it's the most difficult part of being a leader, right? a people leader, that mm-hmm. you have to be able to to engage and understand. And bottom line, just be empathetic. There's so many things, different things going on in yeah, different things people's happen. lives. Things and, happen. Yeah, it's about being human. It's about know? being human. It's really. about yeah. It's a people ping me. You know, my boss um, texts me at four thirty p.m. on a Friday, like, "Hey, Hugo, can you get this to me?" Sure. I'm about to drive home. I'll give it to you as soon as I go back online in 20 minutes. No, I need it now. I mean, that's not the case. I mean, yeah. he, he's like, yeah, whenever. Yeah. Hey, sorry I texted you. Can you give this to me when you have a chance? Yeah, yeah. Sure. No worries. But there's not everybody's like that. Yeah. You know, some people are like, yes, do it now. Because it's about being human. It's about understanding yeah. that, hey, you know, Fridays, I leave at four. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Yeah, I don't. That's exactly. fine. Do your thing. And. And definitely being being able to resonate with people like that and, and um, engage with people in that way is, is definitely something that's hard to teach, right? It almost has to be something that just comes from you, right? Um, yeah, it's the, de la casa. Yeah. You know, it's, it's something it's, it's that how you like were that. raised. Yeah, it's just how you were raised. And I, I think, I mean, I can teach you anything about, you know, UPH or just optimizing operations or whatever it is. But being empathetic is something that... Mm-hmm. And taking the time to you. build that rapport exactly. with people. You know, I really yeah. love the what you spoke at, in the beginning about what do you need from me? I need this from you. Yeah. How can we help each other? Exactly. Uh, having that 
tough conversation. Maybe it feels a bit unnatural at first, especially for you know young professionals, people starting out at the first job. But ultimately, we're here to do a job, yeah. and we want to do it well. So exactly. having that clarity, yeah, it's it's helpful. Exactly, Rocio. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for your time. Is there anything that you would like to add to our audience of young professionals and Latinos in STEM? I mean, I would say, you know, a lot of the things that helped me throughout my career and, and get me to where I am today is definitely take advantage of all those those programs like SHEP. I know is, is a very big one that, you know, helped me take on different leadership roles within um Shep while we were there and I've met a lot of my good friends and and you know we talked a little bit about this earlier just seeing them you know now that we're older and, and saying like hey you know all these crazy things that we like crazy fun stuff that we used to do in college and seeing them now and being these you know leaders and really being successful is super rewarding so definitely you know take advantage of building the relationships with those people because you never know right one of those people might be this director at some company that will really need your help and want to hire you and, and give you that that opportunity, right? And then I would also say that finding a mentor early on in your career is super important. I was very fortunate that at my first job, my manager, she started from the bottom. She was an, an associate on the line and she worked her way up to the director of production and she was super knowledgeable, but very, very humble. And I learned so much from her. And till this day, I, before I, I take on a new role or if I'm going to be promoted, I, I call her first, you know, and I'm like, hey, like, guess what? Like, you know, this happened and, and she's totally rooting for me, right? Um, and sometimes she's like, you know, you shouldn't do that. Or she's kind of like my soundboard. And I think that building that relationship with someone who has more experience, who's willing to give you that time is definitely key, right? Because it's hard out there. I mean, it's not something that, that you're taught to work with in terms of how do I navigate life through, you know, with all these obstacles, whether it's it's family oriented or, you know, have to do with your, your skill sets or lack of skill sets and stuff like that. Like you're not taught to deal with that. So yeah, you need uh, a mentor. Yeah. Having a mentor, I think, is has been super, super helpful for me. I would only add to that that you need several mentors. Yeah. You need a mentor for work stuff. You need a mentor for financial stuff. You need a mentor for health stuff. Because I think that a lot of people that, that come to me for advice and, and coaching or career decisions, they think that I only have one mentor. But the reality is I have several. Yeah. And they take different shapes. Mm-hmm. A mentor is my friend that I have a coffee with every Thursday afternoon. Exactly. And I, hey, I'm I'm having this problem with my director about this decision. Um, what do you think? How should I call him out? Should I call him out? And having that soundboard. Yeah. And I have a friend that he's amazing. He's really good about anything related to index funds mm-hmm. and retirement plans and things like that. He works at uh, Schwab mm-hmm. and he's the guy that I talk to about every six months. Hey, dude, let's get dinner. So here's my portfolio. I don't know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah. I'm hitting my goals, but I feel like I could, I could do better. You know? Yeah. And sometimes he just tells me like, Ugo, you're doing fine. Go buy a new phone. You know, there's <laughs> something like, you know, because we work hard here. So yeah, so having different mentors for different subject areas, it's it, it's key. Yeah. And I mean, you know, the last thing I guess I would say is just have fun. You know, there's Put it in your schedule. <laughs> have fun. Friday from 5 p.m. to 11 p.m. Fun time. <laughs> yeah, right. And I mean, I think you just, in order to really enjoy something, it needs to be fun. 
just across so many different levels. So just enjoy what you do, right? And if, if you are coming and doing something every day and you're just not enjoying it, not having fun, just life's too short for that, right? Find yeah. something that drives you and that. Even though it's so hard waking up early in the morning, you know that you actually are willing to sacrifice your sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Rocio, thank you so much for joining us. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I was pretty nervous about this. I'm not going to lie, but um, it's, it's been pretty fun and just having this conversation. So. Thank you. Thank you.